Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah 50. We're in the third, the third servant song, Isaiah 50. And I have a chart kind of charted out for you at the top of your notes. The, the uh, four servant songs that we're looking at, we're in servant song number three, which is in Isaiah 50, 4 through 11. And notice there, I have the main focus of each of these songs. And our first service song that we looked at was Isaiah 42. And that was kind of an introduction. Behold, meet my servant. And it was a real overview of his mission and his ministry and all that we're going to see and we have been seeing. But the real focus, the unique contribution was the manner of the servant. Because here he is, he's going to restore kingdom order to this chaotic world filled with corrupt hearts. And yet the manner in which he's going to do it is gently, quietly, and faithfully. And that was the main focus. And then last week in Isaiah 49, the focus was really on the mission of the suffering servant. He's going to quietly, gently restore order, but how's he going to do it? And very specifically, restore the nation of Israel to their covenant blessings so that they can be a blessing to the nations. And so it's going to restore Israel and reach the nations. That was the mission. Well, the main focus today in the third song is ministry. How is the servant going to accomplish this? We know his mission, but what's his ministry going to be like? And we're going to see that he's going to be able to finish his ministry even though opposition is going to increase. As we go through these songs, and if you look at the chart, the opposition and the suffering, these are called the songs of the suffering servant. It's going to increase and increase until next week. It's going to be brutal and it's going to focus on the atonement of the cross. And so one last kind of theme through these songs I want you to see is that the servant is always confident and trusting. So as the the opposition increases, his faith and his trust in the Lord does not waver. And that really comes out today. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, look at Isaiah 50, and let's just read 4 through 9. This is kind of the core part of, his, uh, of this song. In fact, we'll, we'll, we'll go all the way. Well, yeah, 4 through 9. Let's, let's just look at that. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Some of your translations might be as a instructed one or one who is taught. I like the New American Standard using that idea of disciple because that is the idea. He is a disciple. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheek to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Why? For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Now, that's the heart of this third song. The servant is speaking. Remember, the first song, it was the Lord speaking. Behold my servant. Then last week, it was the servant speaking again. And this time, he is speaking. What is the servant telling us in this third song? Here's how I wrap it up. Here's what I want you to get your mind around. The servant is telling us how to finish faithful in our ministry like he did in his ministry. 
He's telling us how to finish faithful in our ministry like he did in his ministry. Notice again, look at verse 7 again. Kind of verse 7 kind of captures the tone of this song. Look at verse 7. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. I'm going to finish what the Lord has called me to do no matter what, and I know in the end it's going to come out okay, and I'm going to be rewarded. Now, let me give you two reminders as we jump into this reminder number one is and 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 don't get the awe of this this is christ himself himself speaking to us before the incarnation i mean this is literally the second person of the trinity speaking to us and and i like what peter says in first peter 1 10 through 12 first peter 1 10 through 12 it says this as to this this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. There's more in there, but literally... Peter says, hey, this is the Spirit of Christ. This is Christ speaking through Isaiah to us about his future earthly ministry, and he hasn't even been born yet. Pretty, pretty amazing. Second reminder, the Lord has called all of his covenant people to be involved in ministry. So when I talk about this is we're going to talk about how to finish faithful in our ministry. I don't want you to think we're just talking about Michael and Amber Blummer as missionaries. I want you to think you're, we're talking about being a pastor or or going away to seminary or Bible college. Remember, all of Israel, the entire nation was called what my servant. And remember in Exodus. The whole nation was called to be a kingdom of priests to reach the nation. So, in other words, original, God's original intent was for every Israelite and together the whole people to minister to reach the nations. Well, now in Christ, in a similar way, we don't replace Israel, but in a similar way, in Christ, the true Israel, the ideal Israel, we too are called to be a kingdom of priests. In fact, we're called believer priests. And so I want you to realize that this is something for all of us. And yet, would you admit, would you agree with me, it's easy to be tempted to be unfaithful in fulfilling our ministries for the Lord. All sorts of seasons of life where we're tempted, like Israel, to be unfaithful. I started thinking about this. Sometimes we're tempted, some people are tempted to be draft dodgers when it comes to ministry. In other words, they avoid the draft, they avoid the call to serve, and they never show up to serve. They attend, they might come, they might watch others serve, but they are draft dodgers. Sometimes we become AWOL, AWOL. What's that stand for? Absent without leave. Right. And we struggle to overcome, or we, we serve for a while, and then all of a sudden, we just quit and we disappear. And you're like, hey, man, they, they were serving here. Where are they? What are they doing? Oh, they're just absent without leave. Another military weren't. Sometimes we become MIA. What's that? Missing in action. Some struggle to overcome opposition and temptations that come with finishing faithful. In other words, it, you get excited about the Lord, you get excited about ministry, you get involved in ministry, and then comes the trials. We're going to see, we heard, there's opposition. And some become MIA. They just can't overcome the struggles, the suffering, the opposition that comes with being faithful to the Lord. And then, unfortunately, some are KIA. What's that stand for? Killed in action. That's right, Dane. Killed in action. Some are attacked by the enemy in such a way 
that they become spiritual casualties and they are so wounded and they are so hurt that they can no longer serve the Lord. And as I was thinking about those four categories, and I've been in ministry long enough, I've seen all four of those categories. They're kind of like the four soils that the Lord talked about in the parable. And there's some that just, you know, uh, I, you know, anyway, th- th- there's a par- comparison there. Now, here's the thing. Wherever you find yourself this morning, there's good news for you. And so what we're going to see out of this passage is three truths that will enable us to finish faithful in our ministry. doesn't matter where you are. Draft Dodger, MIA, AWOL. Uh, about ready to feel like you're going to be killed in action. It doesn't matter where you are. Here's three truths. So let's begin. Let's look at it. Number one, here's the first truth, and it's this. Behold, the Lord is faithful even when we are unfaithful. On a snowy morning, can I get an amen out of that? He is faithful. Well, maybe I can't, but I'd like to. He is faithful even when we are unfaithful unfaithful now where i'm getting that is not from the the actual song but the three verses that come before it so look in your bibles at uh chapter 50 look at verses 1 through 3 because here's what a pattern that we're seeing that before each one of these songs there tends to be an example of a negative example whether like in the first song in isaiah 42 It was preceded by chapter 41, and you had the unbelieving nations with their idols and their worthless idols and their powerless gods. And then, behold, my servant, right? Now, last week in Isaiah 49, you had in Isaiah 48, and actually right after the song, you had unfaithful Israel who is supposed to be God's servant, but is blind. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, and they do not hear the Lord, and they can walk, but they're lame when it comes to obeying God. And then, all of a sudden, the servant speaks. Well, here we have the same pattern. And what we have in verses 1 through 3 is we have another example of unfaithful Israel. And so let's read these verses. Thus says the Lord. So the Lord is speaking, all caps, Lord is in all caps, so that's Yahweh. Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of divorce by which I have sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Now, here's what's going on. Before they're even in captivity, the Lord is speaking to Israel as though they're already in captivity. And he's saying to them, Look, Where is, and and here's what they're saying. They're saying, look, we're in, you're, he's predicting before they're even in captivity. I'm telling you, Isaiah is a little bit of a confusing book. He's predicting that they're going to be in captivity. And when they're in captivity, they're going to blame him for being unfaithful to them. Are you with me? So captivity is a separation. They're separated from Jerusalem or Zion and they're in Babylonia, they're separated from the Lord, he doesn't seem to be listening to them, he doesn't seem to be their deliverer, their helper, and unfaithful Israel is saying, you know what, we're in this mess because you've let us down. So that's what he means. He says, look, the Lord says, where is the certificate of divorce by which I sent your mother away? Or to whom of my creditors did I sell you? Behold. You were sold for your iniquities and for your transgressions. Your mother was sent away. Why is there no man when I came, when I called? Why was there none to answer? See, you're in this predicament because of your unfaithfulness, not mine. And then when I called out to deliver you, guess what? None of you yahoos responded to me. And then verse 3, is my hand so short that I can't ransom? Or have I no power to deliver? He's being sarcastic. What he's saying is, you guys think I don't have the resources to save you. You guys think I don't have the power to save you. Is it really me that's lacking here? I think it's you. 
Behold, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. I make the rivers a wilderness. I think he's uh, implying the exodus where he's like, hey, I got, your, I got your forefathers out of Egypt under the rule of the pharaohs with just a word. The Red Sea was parted and you, you, you escaped on dry land. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of first. And then number three, or verse three, I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. In other words, I can turn the lights out on the universe. Powerful, it's just powerful stuff. That kinda, it can kind of throw us off when we're reading the Old Testament, but when you think through what he's saying, it's a powerful, powerful rebuke. So what's going on? Israel failed to be the faithful servant to the Lord. Remember last week? In their life, in their lips, in their worship, and in their witness to the nations. And instead of being a light to the nations, they followed the nations into the darkness of idolatry and immorality. And consequently, the Lord is predicting, I'm going to send you into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. But once in captivity... The unfaithful servant begins to think, well, I'm here because it's the Lord's fault, not not my fault. And they begin to accuse the Lord in two ways. If you look at verse 1, first of all, they're accusing him of being an unfaithful husband. Look, you divorced us. And you know what he's saying? Let's look at that divorce certificate and let's just see who was unfaithful in this marriage. It wasn't me. It was you that committed spiritual adultery. It was you that caused the separation. But the second accusation is the idea of being a powerless master who unfairly sold them into slavery in order to pay off their debts. So back in those times, if you were indebted to someone and you couldn't pay your debt, you would sell your family into slavery. And so basically what what Israel is implying is, look, you're not only an unfaithful husband who has divorced us to Babylon, but you're also a powerless master who can't pay your debts. And these foreign powers, the Babylonians, are stronger than you and you're indebted to them. And so you had to let us go into slavery. Basically, they're accusing the Lord, look, you're a promise breaker who can't keep your covenant promises, and you're a powerless master that can't save your own servants from slavery. And so here's what the Lord says in verse 1. He says, well, let's look at those divorce papers, and let's see who was unfaithful in this covenant marriage. And then he says, let's look at my finances and see who I owe. And basically what he's saying is, look, I'm the creator. I created everything. I own everything. I'm not, I don't, I'm not indebted to anyone. So here's the bottom line. I'm not the one who's been unfaithful. I'm not the one who's been unjust. It is you and your many iniquities and your many transgressions. I'm not unfaithful to save and I'm not unable to save. I have the love and I have the power and the resources to save you. The problem is not me. Verse, look at verse 2. The problem is you are unable to respond to my offer to save you. Now you're saying that's cool with Israel. What does that have to do with us in finishing our ministry faithfully? I would say to you, this has everything to do with it. Because when we quit on the Lord, when we quit serving the Lord, we make excuses. And rarely do the excuses involve me and my problems. It's always the people around me and ultimately who? The Lord that's in control of this. The reason I'm not faithful, the reason I'm not active in ministry, the reason I went AWOL is because the Lord is the problem. Well, look at these two beholds. Let me, let's look at the two behold. This passage has a bunch of beholds in it. And I want you, first of all, if you don't have a Bible that indicates behold or look, you need a different translation, okay? 
because some of the more uh, translations that paraphrase, they avoid these words, but they're indicators, okay? So I hope you all have a translation that at least has behold, look, because those are the, here's what behold means uh, many times. When the Lord is speaking, it's look, I'm about to do something that is miraculous and supernatural. And so here's the first behold. Here's what I want you to get. The first behold is in verse 1, and it's a faithful word of rebuke. Do you realize a rebuke could be a faithful way to love someone? Right? When they're in the wrong, we rebuke, but we rebuke out of love. So notice, here's the first rebuke. Your separation from me is due to your own unfaithfulness. Your separation from me is due to your own unfaithfulness. And here's the principle I want you to get. Servants fail to finish well when they begin to love pleasing themselves more than pleasing the Lord who loves them faithfully. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you think I don't love you. I've let you down. And that's why you're in this mess. That's why you're wounded. But the reality is this. You're not serving me because you're serving yourself and the pleasures of sin more than serving me. And it's a powerful rebuke, but it's there. And, and I understand. Is it not easy to make excuses for serving the Lord? Is it not easy? Okay. Husband was in bed with his wife on a Sunday morning and said, Honey... I just don't feel like going to church today. Let's sleep in and skip church. And the wife responds, Dear, I don't think we should do that. After all, you're the pastor. Okay? Now, that just, you know, that's reality. You know, and, and believe me, it's, it's reality. I'm just tempted like you to make excuses. And I've been doing this now for 30 years as a vocation. But that's the word of rebuke. But notice the second behold is in, in verse 2, in the middle of verse 2, and that's a faithful word of encouragement. And here's what he says. I am the faithful husband and master who has the power to keep his promises. I am the faithful husband and master who has the power to keep his promises. So here's what he's saying. He says to him, look, I've sought you, my adulterous wife. I have sought you. I've been the faithful husband. But more than that, I'm the powerful master that can take an ocean and with a word cause it to dry up. I'm the one that can turn the lights out on the stars and cover a nation in darkness in order to deliver you. And so here's the idea. Servants fail to finish well when they refuse to call on the Lord who loves them faithfully and powerfully. Listen, if you're struggling to get into ministry, if you're struggling to be faithful in ministry, I would say don't refuse to call on the Lord. Don't make excuses. Don't blame other people. Instead, Call on the one who loves you faithfully. Call on the one who can powerfully deliver you. And here's what he can do. He can deliver you from your selfish pursuits to actually loving him sacrificially. And that's the idea. So here's the first, the first principle for being faithful in ministry. Even when you're unfaithful, behold, the Lord is faithful to you. Okay, I... I, I I hope you're, this is kind of spiritual profound truth when you think about it. Because I'm telling you, people get burned out. People get discouraged. People go into spiritual depression. And then they begin to be self-oriented and they begin to blame the people around them. And when you start doing that, you're really blaming the Lord. And you just need to understand, you know what? He's been faithful to me. He's a faithful husband that keeps his promises. And he's a powerful master that can get me out of this funk, who can deliver me from my self 
orientation. All right, I'll leave it at that. Now, what will the Lord say when you call out to him like this? Now, listen to me here. What will he say? Sometimes, here's what we think the Lord will say. All right, good. Roll up your sleeves, get back into the work, and try harder. Get back in there and work harder. Pull up your spiritual bootstraps, and you've repented, and you've cried out to me. Now, get in there and work harder for me. Do you sometimes hear that message? But you know what the Lord says? Here's the second principle. Behold, the suffering servant is faithful to follow the Lord at any cost in our place. He doesn't say get back into the ministry and try harder in your own power. He says look up and look at the suffering servant for he is faithful to follow the Lord at any cost in your place. Now some of you are immediately thinking, good, I'm off the hook. He does all the work. Well, wait till the end of the lesson, and that's not how grace works. But I do want you to understand. This is, Randy said this to me. He said, man, I'm reading through Isaiah, and it's like darkness, darkness. And then all of a sudden, the light breaks out. And that's what's going on. Here is Isaiah saying, look. Hundreds of years before it happens, you're going to go into captivity. And in captivity, you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to go in because you're unfaithful. And even when you're in captivity, you're not going to learn and you're going to refuse to call on me. But here, behold, look at my faithful servant. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes what we need. Listen, if your motivation for ministry, if, you're, if you are burned out, if you have been wounded and hurt, you need to look at the one who is always faithful. You need to look at the one who has followed the Lord at any cost, and he's done it in your place. Now, why do I say that? Does it ever say here he does it in our place? No, but the contrast is right there. Here you've got this unfaithful servant, Israel, and then he says, Behold, my faithful servant. And next week, when we go to the fourth song, it's going to be crystal clear that what the servant does, he does in our place. And we should all be thankful for that. Because that's really the message of Christmas. That Christ has come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. So let's look at 4 through 9. The suffering servant is faithful. And there's one main idea in this, and I already highlight. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 begins and ends with this idea of discipleship. And here's the main idea of these verses. The test of servanthood is discipleship. And the test of discipleship is servanthood. Here's what he's saying. The key to being a faithful servant is to be a fully devoted disciple. Because basically, servants are to trust their master and obey his commands. But what does a disciple do? They follow their master and they fulfill his command. It's the same idea. So if you're going to be a faithful servant... You need to be a fully devoted disciple. And if you're going to be a fully devoted disciple, guess what you're going to be involved in? You're going to be involved in ministry. So the question is, and what's presented to us in these, four, in these verses, 4 through 9, is how faithful are we in, follow, how faithful are we in following and trusting our master and fulfilling slash obeying his commands. Now, these verses, 4 through 9, let me just make, these aren't in your notes. Just let me make some observ- three observations. First of all, here's why we need to never unhitch from the Old Testament. I would never have known, not unless I had done this series, that one of the greatest discipleship passages in the whole Bible is not in the Old Testament. It's right here in the New Testament, and it's taught to us by the master discipler. Okay? I mean, this passage is awesome. Second observation, and I said this before. Here we have the pre-incarnate Christ explaining the secret to his entire earthly ministry. 
It's like he's zeroing in and saying, look, you want to know how I succeeded for three and a half years? How I reached the world with the gospel? Here it is. Here it is. And then the third observation is, this is, in a sense, this is the background to Philippians 2. This is the background to Philippians 2. Kara is, gonna, is melting, so if you can turn the heat down uh, just a little bit, Jerry. I'm sorry, Kara, I cranked it up because I was initially cold. Now I'm hot, too. Um, so, you know, Philippians 2, he left heaven and he became obedient even unto death. How did he do that? What's the secret behind that? We're going to see this. So, let's look at this. Here is the servant's threefold testimony regarding his own discipleship. Do you realize? I never really thought about this. Jesus was a disciple. And he was discipled. So, let's look at three his threefold testimony regarding his discipleship. And here's the first one. The sovereign Lord has discipled me. The sovereign Lord has discipled me. And in many of your Bibles, it's written like this, or it's written, it's written uh, the Lord God. Lord in small caps and God in all caps. Are you with me? Now, usually when you find Lord in all caps, what's the Hebrew word? What's the idea? Yahweh, the I am God. And so you, anytime you see all caps, you think I am. I am who I am. But there is the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. And so it would end up being Lord, Lord with all caps. So what some translations do, New American Standard does this, They put Lord in small caps, which means Adonai, Sovereign Master. And they put God in all caps, which equals Yahweh. Now, the Net Bible and the the CSB, I like the way they do it. They keep Lord in all caps, and they translate Adonai as Sovereign. Are you with me? Now, why is this important? Well, four times in these verses, four times the pre-incarnate Christ addresses the Father as Sovereign Lord, Adonai Yahweh. And it's important because of the previous context. What had Israel accused God of being? An unfaithful promise breaker. And he's saying, no, he is the Lord, the promise keeper. Also, they had accused him of being a powerless master. And he's saying, no, he's the most powerful God overall. He's the master of everything. He is the sovereign Lord. Does that help? Now, who's the one discipling the servant? It's this one. The one who keeps his promises and is able and powerful to deliver him from anything that stands in the way of him being faithful. That's pretty significant for us to be thinking about. So in other words, if you look in your notes, basically every time you see this Lord God, God all caps, or Sovereign Lord, Lord all caps, the I am God is the sovereign master overall. That's what you want to get. And so the first thing that the servant says about his discipleship is the one who discipled me is the master of the universe, and yet he's a loving promise keeper. And that's good news. Here's the second principle of his discipleship. The sovereign Lord, so I'm writing it out that way, the sovereign Lord has discipled me to be his fully devoted disciple. He's discipled me, to be a fully devoted disciple. You say, what's that look like? Well, verses 4 and 5 tell us exactly what it looks like. Look at these key verses. Look at verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me, and the New American Standard says, the tongue of a disciple. Some translations say an instructed tongue. You're like, what is that? What's the tongue of a disciple? It's simply this. I speak what my master taught me. 
I speak the truth that I was discipled. Okay? I speak what he has taught me. I speak the truth he has taught me. I speak the words that he has spoken to me. What the Lord God has said to me, now I speak to others. I am a fully devoted disciple. I speak that which I have been taught. Look at John seven sixteen. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Listen to John eight twenty eight. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am... And I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. So what the New Testament says, what Jesus says about himself is exactly what the servant says in the Old Testament. The the sovereign Lord has given me the tongue of a disciple. But look at the end of verse 4. The sovereign Lord awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. You see the change? So he's given me a disciple's tongue. I teach what I've been taught. But I also, the reason I teach what I taught, because first I had a disciple's ear, and what I heard is what I taught. Does that, does that make sense? Because here's the point. You can't teach the truth of God until you've been taught by God. Are you with me? You can't pass on what you haven't first taken in. Listen to John 17, 8. 17, 8. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And then look at, the, look at verse 5. The, the third aspect of, his, uh, of, of a fully devoted disciple. The sovereign Lord has opened my ear. You're like, what in the world? Did he, get, did he have wax in his ears? Yeah, he did. You ever said that to your kids? You tell your kids, take out the trash, and what, do they, what is the typical? I know some of you have ideal children, but what does this typical kid do? Take out your trash. Take out the trash. What do they do? Well, they just, well, no, before that, they don't even ask why, don't they? Don't they just, it's like they didn't hear you, right? They didn't hear you. We'll get to the why in a moment. They didn't even hear you. And you're like, what's wrong with you? You got wax in your ears? Is your, does your ear need to be opened up? And then you say, take out the trash. Then they say, why? Why? Because they're not obedient. And that's the idea of the opened ear. What he's saying is, look, I not only heard you, and I not only teach others what you taught me, but I have a heart that is open to obeying you from the heart the open ear means the main way we receive information it means my whole life is open to responding in obedient manner what the lord has taught me now i not only teach to others but i obey it myself and remember that's what israel failed to do now listen to John twelve forty nine. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. Listen to John fourteen ten. Do not believe that I am in the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. And then John 14, 31. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And he said that on the night before he was betrayed and goes to the cross. You say, okay, so what does that mean? Well, it means this. The sovereign Lord has discipled me to be a fully devoted disciple. The servant is saying, the sovereign Lord has discipled me to be a fully devoted disciple. You say, Chris, what does that look like? Or don't ask me, ask the servant. Servant, servant of the Lord, what does that look like? I am quick to hear, quick to obey from my heart at any cost. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I have a disciple's ear. I'm a learner. 
I have a disciple's tongue. I'm a teacher. I have a disciple's heart. Open my ear to respond to you obediently. You want to be faithful in, in, in your ministry? You got to be a fully devoted disciple. Now, how far did the servant go in following the Lord? Now, this is where it gets rough. Look at verse 5. Right after he says, verse 5, The Lord God, the sovereign Lord, has opened my ear, and I was not obedient, nor did I, I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. He's saying, look, disobedient there is an internal desire not to obey. And the turning back is a word for apostasy. I didn't forsake the Lord. I didn't forget the Lord. Basically what he's saying is, I wasn't like Israel. How far did I go? I refused to ever disobey, not even once, and I certainly did not forsake. But what did it cost him to be that obedient? Well, look at, the, look at verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me. And my cheek to those who pluck out my beard, I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. What he's saying is this, to be faithful in following the Lord, there's going to be opposition. And you know what he said? I am so yielded to the Lord. I am so faithful in following the Lord. Here, here's my back. You can beat me. Here's my face and what he's talking about is plucking his beard because in the in the in asia culture that beard is your honor and it's like nobody you know i I always miracle on 34th street where santa gives the little girl permission to tug his beard that's the idea here nobody touches that and they're pulling that out and they're plucking it and they're spitting on him of course we know that on the morning that he was arrested The Jewish leaders did these very things to Jesus. And what did he do? He didn't protest. He didn't fight back. He didn't defend himself. And then the Roman leaders did these very things to him. In fact, in Luke, it says, Jesus said, Behold, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and all the things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked, and mistreated, and spat upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. But the third day, he will rise again. And that brings us to the third truth about his discipleship. Here's what he says. The sovereign Lord has discipled me to trust him as my trustworthy helper in the worst of times. You like, verse 5, verse 6 takes us to the utter humiliation it's not as bad as it's going to be next week but here's what he says the verbal abuse of last week has become the physical persecution but here's what i know verse 7 for the lord god helps me therefore i am not disgraced therefore i have set my face like a flint and i know that i shall not be ashamed he who vindicates me is near god's going to vindicate me and who's going to Contend with me. Who's going to charge me of of sin? Who's going to charge me of doing wrong? Let them stand up right now. Who has a case case against me? Let him draw near to me. Look at verse 9. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? What does that sound like in the New Testament? Romans 8. Let him behold... They will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. What he's saying is all their charges against me, they're going to fade away like an old cloth eaten up in your closet. But me, I'm going to be vindicated. And next week we're going to see that vindication is going to come through resurrection. So here's here's what he's saying. He is my helper who will deliver me and ultimately vindicate me. Therefore, I will set my face like a flint to follow him No matter what. No matter what. And so the suffering servant's testimony is interesting. You say, again, where does this relate to me? Well, first you've got to see him. But here's where it relates to us. The suffering servant testimony 
as a fully devoted disciple who follows the sovereign Lord at any cost, here's what he says. I am able to encourage the weary to do the same with my words. I am able to encourage the weary to do the same with my words. Did you catch that up in verse 4? Look at verse 4. The Lord God has given me an instructed tongue, the tongue of a disciple. I teach others. Why? That I may know how to sustain what or who? The weary one with a word. The weary one with a word. So listen, here's the idea. Behold, there's one who has followed faithfully when we haven't. Behold, there is one who has endured the maximum. And he can speak a word to the weary. The question is, are we listening with a disciple's ear? And are we responding with a disciple's heart? And so that brings us to the third truth. Let me give you this. Third truth to remain faithful, and it's this. Behold, the Lord's servants will follow the suffering servant at any cost. The Lord's servants will follow the suffering servant at any cost. And guess what? You will be rewarded like he was. You mean getting spat upon? Yeah, I mean, that's not the reward, but that's the cost of following. The reward is, in the end, you will be vindicated. Is that good news? So look at verses 10 through 11. The servant is no longer speaking. Now it's the sovereign Lord, who is speaking, and he's saying this to us, verses 10 and 11. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? In other words, if you fear the Lord, obey my servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Are, are you in a dark place right now? Is your Christmas, are these, are these candles all blown out right now in your life? Or is your life... Just as a darkness settled on you. Here's what he's saying to you. Listen to my servant and trust me. And trust his God. Notice, rely on his God. But then there's a warning for those who don't. Look at verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze, this you will have from my hand, you will lie down in torment. What's he saying to us? Basically three things, all right? Here's the, here, here's the idea. Is The first is this, all right? Let me give you these and then we'll, we'll let you go. Those who fear the Lord will follow the faithful servant. Here's the first. This is radical. Here's what he's saying. You know the suffering servant guy I've been talking about? I've been predicting? Well, if you're going to trust Yahweh, you're going to listen to him. And boy, what did Jesus say in his ministry? You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the one who sent me. There's, a, there's, a tie, there's an exclusivity. Listen, there's no other person to follow. It's Jesus, the suffering servant. Here's the second truth. Here's the second truth that he's saying. Those who follow his faithful servant will trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God to deliver them from darkness. He's saying, look, even my servants, here's what I want you to see. Even the best of servants encounter dark times. And it's in those dark times that you've got to rely on your God. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't bail out. Don't quit. Follow your God in the light of his Savior. And then finally, the third thing is this. Those who refuse to follow his servant will remain in darkness and receive eternal torment from the Lord and his faithful servant. Here's the contrast. If you're in dark, we're all in darkness, right? We're all in darkness. Now, you have two options in your darkness. You follow the faithful servant and you follow even when it hurts. And he will deliver you in the end. Or in the darkness, 
you say everybody get your get your matches out everybody get your your everybody get your uh, flashlights out and we're going to circle around and we're going to produce our own light but what happens to candles they go out what happens to batteries and flashlights they go out see it works for a little bit and basically it's that reap what you sow. He says, look, surround yourself with your own fires to lighten the darkness. But those same fires are reflective of the eternal fire of hell for rejecting my faithful servant. There's serious stuff here. But you know what the good word is? The good news is that the Lord's been through your darkness and more And he has a word of encouragement. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? What? Rest. For my yoke, my yoke of discipleship is light. And I will encourage you. So I hope, I don't know where you are on that spectrum of serving the Lord. Obviously you're here, so that's a good sign. But being here is not, not what, the, what serving is all about. Wherever you are, finish faithful in serving. But to do that, you've got to admit, I can't do it. Only Jesus has done it. And I'm going to trust him to persevere when I feel like giving up. Is that a good word? Is that a good word? All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, this is a deep passage and it's kind of a mind-blowing thing that Christ is speaking to us thousands of years before his incarnation and he's revealing to us the secret of finishing well in the ministry. Lord, I pray wherever we are, and I know there's a variety of hearts and a variety of circumstances, but Lord, as the darkness increases... May we trust the light of the spoken word of your Savior. May we follow him in the hardest of times. And may we look for the vindication that will come from you, knowing that in the end, even when we take our blows, even when people misunderstand us, even when we are criticized unfairly, that, Lord, you will vindicate us if we follow you and are quick to hear and quick to obey from the heart. I pray that for each person here. I pray that for myself. In Jesus' name, our faithful servant. Amen.